Well, Oregon's got a top 10 recruiting class from the true freshman ranks. How many of those guys could play this year? I think more than last. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks. Like, comment, subscribe, please, and thank you wherever you listen to or watch this show. And I am joined today on Locked On Ducks by Max Torres. He covers Oregon for Fan Nation at Sports Illustrated. He's also host of the Ducks Dish podcast. Many of you know him. Those words were Ducks Dish. By the way, I'm trying to get my enunciation out there. I'm running on maybe five and a half hours of sleep. Las Vegas with a buddy is a good time. You know, that's just kind of the way that we roll. But that's not going to stop me from bringing you the show that I am so gracious that you all support. And Max, welcome back to the show, man. And I know you always love talking recruiting. Yeah, thanks for having me, Spencer. Always a always a great time to to hop on here and, and chop it up with you. And and yeah, you know, recruiting's uh where I try to live. So I'm 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 stoked. So last year we saw really just three, technically four true freshmen play meaningful snaps. Not only four true freshmen actually saw the field literally for the Ducks, but it was really just three guys that were a meaningful part of games, of wins, that were not starters per se, but were guys that saw the field regularly in important moments. Josh Connerly, Jaleel Florence, Jordan James, all of whom did, I think, fantastically in their roles. But I think this year, Max, you could see more true freshmen than that have an impact. What do you think? Yeah, I I would have to agree with you on that one for sure, Spencer. And I think part of it is because, you know, if you just look at the basics, it's a higher rated class. Um, This was Dan Lanning's first full cycle uh, as a head coach in Eugene. So I think he definitely had some time, as did the rest of the staff, to kind of get their legs under them a little bit, you know, learn how to approach recruiting in the Pac-12, learn how to leverage the advantages of the the Oregon program, of that O of the brand that clearly paid dividends. Um, And I think that you just also see a lot of special guys in this class, right? You have numerous All-Americans scattered throughout this class, guys coming at positions of need. Um, So I think this class did a really good job of filling holes. And uh, I think another thing, obviously, we're going to talk about some of these true freshmen, but um, you know, it's definitely worth a mention that there's a lot of these portal additions that are really going to help fill some of those needs for, for Dan Lanning in 2023. So I definitely think that they're going to they're going to see uh, a fair amount of true freshmen that are going to be playing in this 2023 season. And, and that's a good sign, I think. Yeah, I think it's also a familiarity component. You know, I don't think a coach is quite as likely to play a true freshman or he's, he doesn't feel as inclined to do so, perhaps when he did not recruit that particular player. And and I the, the, the discrepancy between Portal and true freshman guys is very noteworthy because you do expect, and the reason I wanted to talk about the true freshman that could see the field in a significant way this year is we all expect the Portal guys to be day one starters pretty much. Like I, I think the only guy who maybe, maybe isn't a, a full-time, full-throated number one starter all the time. Could be Kyrie Jackson, probably Connor Connor Soley as well. Like th- th- those are guys that will most almost certainly play because that's why you add a transfer in most instances because you have the anticipation that he is going to play. 
but the true freshman, it's a little bit more of a crapshoot, right? I was playing craps last night. It's really fun, but it's a little bit more of, of a crapshoot in that sense because there are so many guys and most true freshmen are not ready to play right away. But the one right off the bat, Max, that that stands out, not just because of his recruiting profile, but also oh, the position he plays is Mateo Uyunglele, who I don't think he's going to be the only edge player that you see, you know, play starters minutes at, on, on one side. And Jordan Birch will probably be on the other. But I do feel like that's the, the the obvious choice. But I think for a reason, as as you go down the list and say, okay, so which true freshmen are going to play the most? He he stands out a lot to me. Yeah, Mateo stands out um, for sure. As someone who's been able to see Mateo a lot, you know, I was around Bosco a lot last year. Um, he's he's a special talent. You know, he's a guy who who shows up, especially in those big games. You know, he played some offense primarily defense as a senior, but he played a little bit of both ways for, for the Braves. Uh, most notably, he came in to play some tight end uh, as uh, as the Braves were searching for that state title. Uh, really big CIF Southern Section game against uh, Modern Day at the Rose Bowl. He came in and he had some huge plays. He had a touchdown grab, and then I think late in the game, he actually had a catch and run kind of like similar to Jawan Johnson in that Oregon Rose Bowl against Wisconsin. You know, he had that catch and run that really helped seal the game. So, he shows up in the big moments, and I mean, especially modern day. Modern day is one of those teams that obviously stands alone in that same territory as Bosco, but like they have a legitimate college size O line. And Mateo played some really good games against them as a senior. And part of the reason that he stands out is because of his his frame and his technique, his uh, his just uh, you know, his, his violent hands. He's he's pretty pretty polished. But it was kind of surprising to see him uh, drop a little bit in the two four seven rankings towards the end of the cycle. And I think part of it was just because of the consistency factor is I think what uh, what we saw, uh, you know, Biggins and some of those other, uh, you know, industry experts at 247. That's kind of what they were saying. And after watching him a couple of times, I think I saw that. So uh, I, I agree with you. I think he's going to be a guy that contributes a lot, um, but maybe kind of a similar transition like Kayvon Thibodeau, where he didn't start right off the bat, but, you know, get, gets his legs under him and, and kind of adjust to that college level. And uh, it's, it's only going to help that he's there early already. And he's the guy who is the most clear-cut choice to play right away, but he's not the only one. I think you could go on either side of the ball and find true freshmen who are, are going to play meaningful snaps. Like the 2022 class, you had three, really. Mm-hmm. It was Josh Connerly. It was Jalil Florence. It was Jordan James. I don't think there are any offensive linemen at the true freshman ranks because of the transfers they brought in that that will see the field. And there also isn't a blue chip offensive line recruit in this class the way Connerly was, who's ready to just kind of slide in and, and start playing right away. Offensively, though, Max, I do think there are there are a couple and, and we'll switch it back to defense uh, at, at some point as well. But I think a guy who is going to have to play right away is Kenyon Sadiq the tight end who's got a lot of upside is kind of that hybrid tight end receiver role. But Terrence Ferguson also played a lot of wide receiver in high school. He bulked up a little and he's become now a a really, really good clear cut number one tight end. But you need at least at least two, if not three guys who you can play consistently. You, of course, want to have depth in case injuries are there. I think Sadiq is someone else like those are two guys right off the bat who I think are regular rotation players from the moment the Ducks take the field against Portland State. 
yeah, Kenyon Sadiq's an interesting guy to look at. Uh, I actually just wrote about him last week in my signee spotlight series that I have going on over at Ducks Digest, a little selfless promo, but uh, trying to look at each guy in this class, transfer portal guys included, but he's an interesting guy, right? 6'3", 220 pounds, not exactly your traditional tight end build right now. So it probably goes without saying that he needs to add some weight. Uh, And he's already enrolled at Oregon, which is a a benefit as well. And like you mentioned, with the depth, he's going to have to see the field a little bit. He's he's more of a um, he, he seems like he's definitely more of a pass catching tight end rather than a blocker, as you would think with his frame. But this is a guy who can take the top off of a defense. And I think he kind of flew under the radar a little bit because he was coming out of the state of Idaho, not exactly a state that's known for producing blue chip talent on a year in, year out basis. Um, but I think you got to give some credit to the the staff for going into Idaho and getting this guy. Um, just looking through his resume, he, he really saw his recruiting stock rise uh, after a strong senior season. Ended up as one of the top commits, one of the top signees in Oregon's class from a ratings perspective. One of the top athletes in the country. He can take the top off of the defense. Definitely has some good vertical speed, really strong hands, playmaking ability as well at the you know high pointing the ball. Um, I think there was a, a state semifinal game as a senior year, his senior year, and he had four touchdowns for like 150 yards. So he's definitely that guy who had some some takeover game breaking ability at the high school level. And he was someone that skyline looked to as the guy on their offense also pitched in a little bit on defense as well. But I agree. This is going to be an interesting guy to watch and uh, someone who could, and probably will need to see some meaningful snaps right away. Uh, And the only other point I would add Spencer is that, you know, from some of the people that I've talked to around the program, some sources they're uh, they're still hunting for a, a guy in the, in the portal at tight end. So definitely keep an eye out there. Yeah, not 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 surprising. You can bet we'll keep talking about more true freshmen who could have an impact and the elite Terry hire that I want to ask Max about as well. You can't bet that at our friends over at FanDuel, but you can indeed get everything else you need. The midway point of the NBA season is here, and now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sports book. New customers can get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. I did wish at the tables last night that that was kind of an option, but apparently it's not how it works, or so I'm learning. But you can just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, it's super easy to use, and it is definitely secure too you can bet everything from the money line to point scores threes drain they got all sorts of fun props or the more standard bets that you want to find on there so don't miss the chance to get your no sweat first bet up to a thousand dollars in bonus bets when you go to fanduel.com slash locked on that's fanduel.com slash locked on to learn more make every moment more with fanduel an official sportsbook betting partner of the nba so i think those are two names max that come to Oregon this year have an impact right away. I'm curious what Jurion Dickey's role could be because you look at the receivers and they brought in Tez Johnson transfer and they brought in Treshawn Holden transfer. Troy Franklin is there. You also have Kyler Casper waiting in the wings, who was a highly sought after recruit. Dickey is a little bit different on that front. He's I I'm, I'm really, really high in him, but you have Chris Hudson in that room. I don't know if they're, are enough snaps unless Dickie just absolutely starts killing it right away for him to be a full-time player all the time. But that's another guy that I think sees meaningful snaps this year. Yeah. Jurion is uh, as good a receiver as you'll find in the country. He finished the 2023 cycle as the number two rated guy behind only Zachariah branch out of Las Vegas, Bishop Gorman, who is going to USC and uh, 
really, I talked to Cody to Canberra just about Zach Branch and he was saying, you know, cause he's teammates with him at, at Gorman. He was saying, yeah, that speed is just, is crazy, man. You know, it's just not something that you see every day. So that's kind of his biggest trait. And I don't think Juryon will blow you away with his speed, but he's just such a complete wide receiver and he's so physically imposing. Um, and I think that the transition to college should be one that's fairly easy for him to make. Um, I'm not going to go out and say that he's going to be a, a starter from, from right away, but he is that caliber of a guy. He is that polished that he should be able to compete from the second he steps on campus. Not sure if he's going to be here for spring ball or uh, if it's going to be more of a traditional summer arrival. Um, and that's another point too. So much of this class is already on campus, but uh, Jurion is, is amazing. So I think that with, with him and the, the body of work that he had at the, the high school level, um, you know, he showed up at the camp circuit and dominated seven on seven circuit dominated. He, it is worth mentioning that he's working his way back from an injury right now. Um, so he missed most of his senior season. I think he only played three or four games, but um, he's as good a receiver prospect as you'll find. And um, don't be surprised at all if he's uh, he's in the mix right away. Uh, Kyler Casper, another interesting guy at that wide receiver spot, you know, six, six, 200 pounds. Uh, no one else has that height uh, on on that roster in that wide receiver room. And um, he has some serious athleticism. And, and I think he's someone that we could also keep an eye out for to make a jump. Uh, maybe a little surprised that he didn't play last year, although the room was already really, really solid. Uh, but he's also a guy that reclassified, right? He got to college a whole year earlier than was maybe anticipated. So that's not an easy jump to make. But um, I'm, I'm excited to see what happens in that receiver room for sure. And going back to uh, the original thought that we talked about to begin the show, that there will be more than three true freshmen who see meaningful snaps as there were a year ago. That's three. And we haven't even talked about the guys that I, I was discussing uh, the, the same, same sort of topic yesterday with John Garcia, our locked on recruiting insider, Dalen Austin, Roderick Pleasant. I, I don't know if Austin has as clear of a role to seeing the field in a meaningful way, because I don't know what he could bring to the table on, on special teams. But there are no surefire things in that defensive back room. There, there, there really aren't, other than maybe Tysheem Johnson and Evan Williams are both going to be starters. I think Triquez Bridges is probably a lock to start as well. But there could be opportunities. You go against pass-happy offenses, you may want to put four four corners on the field. Like That, that, that may be what Dan Lanning and the defense with, with Tosh Lupoy at the helm want to do. But then you, you just keep going down and, and think – well, what else does this offensive or what else does this this 2023 recruiting class present? And we haven't even gotten to the strength when we've listed three guys who are probably going to see the field. And that's the defensive line, right? Other than Mateo. But there are other guys there that I think could have some opportunities to see the field because you don't have Jordan Riley there anymore. You do have Popo Almavai for sure. I think Sam Taimani did a lot of good things last year. I don't think his role is you know, 100% solidified. I mean, Keon Ware Hudson is, is in the mix, but I could see another edge player like a Blake Purchase or maybe someone like Tatum Tuioti Pops, you know, you know, somebody like that. I think that's the other thing that gives me confidence. There'll be more than more than three true freshmen that play this year is there's always an element of the unknown and, and you don't know all the time which of those true freshmen are, are actually going to pop. Yeah, and, and I think that more of those guys are going to come on the defensive side of the ball that play right away, like you were talking about, because that, that's where more of the need is, right? Mo like, so you lost a lot of production and, you know, some experience in that secondary with, with Gonzo leaving. Um, I guess Gonzo is actually the only really main guy. So let me let me walk that back a little bit. 
Um, but I think the only sure part of that defense right now is like the front seven, specifically the the defensive line. You know, you got Noah Sewell leaving, so you got to figure out how you're going to fill in. Um, you know, his departure looks like Justin Jacobs is probably going to be one of those guys. But I think there are just a lot of really high floor uh, cornerback prospects in this class. Um, and you made a good point about Roger Pleasant adding that special teams value uh, from, from day one, uh, Dalen Austin definitely has more of that, that prototypical frame that Dan Lanning looks for in his cornerbacks. You know, those lengthy guys that have a lot of speed that, that you can hopefully put on an Island and just have them lock down a, a whole side of the field. Um, if he does see a lot of playing time as a true freshman, which I do think he's capable of, of seeing, you know, he's going to be tested. They have some really, really good wide receivers in the pac 12 and some really strong quarterback play. So, uh, Dylan Austin and Roderick Pleasant are two guys to watch for there without a doubt. Dylan Austin's probably looking like he's going to be on, on campus in time for spring football. From what I'm being told, Roderick Pleasant, not the case since he's a track guy. Uh, he's going to write out his senior season, uh, with, with Sarah there, hopefully going to make it out to some meets, but yeah, we have to talk about this defensive line group because there are a lot of special guys. Um, you know, I think one person that's certainly worth uh, a mention is Johnny Bowens late addition to that class relative to some of these other guys, uh, who was, uh, formerly committed to AM. But, you know, from, from the people that I've talked to around the program, they're super excited about him. I think just kind of monitoring what the, the jump looks like from a scheme standpoint and, you know, making that transition from high school to college is going to be something that we could kind of keep our eye on there as far as Bowen's seeing the field early or not. Uh, and then you also have Amari Washington, who I think is another guy that uh, kind of flies under the radar in this class. You know, I don't want to say that too much. But he's got that body type, 6'4", right about three bills that you just don't find out west. You know, That's not to say that that's the only reason he should start. But when you're walking into that room and you're already the size, more or less, of a Popo Amavai, of a Sam Taimani, someone like that, like as a true freshman, you know, you're going you're gonna to get some eyes on you. And I think that it's going to help you see the field. I, I actually got to meet Amari Washington's coach when I was out in San Antonio at the Adidas All-American Bowl. And he was saying, you know, this this is like it's crazy. He should be here. And maybe he's a little bit biased, but you know, to to get that high praise, like you were saying a couple episodes ago, from uh, it's high praise from, from his coach. You know, maybe he's a little bit biased, obviously, but but yeah, he's he's a big name on that defensive line. And then you got Terrence Green and, and Ashton Porter was a dude who made a living in the backfield as a senior, Under Armour All American there too. He's more of an edge guy, I think. Um, you know, around that six three two sixty area, uh, but that has a loaded group too. And I think the best thing that you can maybe say about that is they don't necessarily need that help, like desperately on the defensive line because they have a lot of proven production and returning guys. But that said, they they still aren't at the level that they need to be. So you're adding all of these high level, high potential guys to a room with so much experience, which I think gives you some flexibility if you're Tony Tuioti, Dan Lanning, trying to find that right combination because. You already have a lot of guys, Casey Rogers, too, uh, that are coming back that that really, you know, gave you some good play last year. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I think one thing to always consider when you're talking about playing time and and who could see the field is don't think of it as 11 on offense, and 11 on defense. It's a lot closer to, I don't know, 18 on offense and 18 on defense, probably. Like, like if if you're talking about realistic, yeah, like like who's going to see the field at least in some capacity? And I think, you know, as we talk about it, the interior, of the defensive line does have a little bit more depth and experience than, than than I was remembering, just because 
I forgot about Popo and him coming back, which could be a huge addition for the defense. But you mentioned something interesting. Ashton Porter was kind of a late riser in a way in, oh, in, in this class, and he's really come on strong and looks really good. And John Garcia has come on this show and talked about how he feels like his floor is very, very high. If I told you right now who are Oregon's four edge players, right? The two starters and then the two guys that rotate in. You're probably looking Jordan Birch, probably Mace Funa on the other side. Mateo probably spells with Mace Funa, but then who's there to back up Birch? I mean, you can you you can slide Dorless out from time to time, but I, I think we didn't Dorless even talk about is, him. Yeah, yeah, and I I, th- I think Dorless is mo- most effective on the interior, and that's where who he will play more of this year because he just doesn't have the speed. You know, he, he's he's a, he's a great pass rusher. He can line up a defensive end, but he doesn't have the speed to keep up with quarterbacks. He's more of a defensive tackle in that sense. So I felt like whenever he would get to the quarterback, it was really easy for mobile QBs to really break contain and get outside of him. But if you had someone like an Ashton Porter who's more of an edge player out there or a Blake Purchase or, you know, you can keep going down the list. I think that's an intriguing position to watch in terms of where true freshmen could could realistically see action because they've just added Birch at, at the edge position in terms of their defense. Like he, he is the only one. So they feel confident enough in the returners and the true freshmen coming in to know that they're going to have some depth at that position. And I, I think that's, I think that's the, that's the other spot to watch because the interior does have more bodies than you might think, but I think at the edge, they're thinner than at other spots. Yeah, no, that, that's a great point. Um, just to, to acknowledge what you were saying about Porter. Um, when, when Porter was getting recruited by Oregon, I remember I was talking to somebody and they were saying, I can't believe, you know, this is someone on the staff, you know, I don't obviously not going to name names, but they were saying like, I can't believe that this guy doesn't have more attention because he was formerly committed to Northwestern before he committed to Oregon. Uh, and then he was back on the, on the market, so to speak, right. Uncommitted. Uh, and he didn't really have, you know, some, some major, major offers. Um, you know, he had a top five of Houston, Mississippi state, uh, Oregon was obviously in the mix there. Uh, Michigan state was another one. I think that this was an Oregon versus Michigan state battle because, uh, Michigan state had a, sorry, there's a lot of noise right now. It, the garbage day was a couple days ago, but I guess they're still coming back to get some more stuff. <laughs> um, well, I mean, when you me. throw massive house parties, like Max is just renowned for, you know, you just, it, it adds up quickly and you got to oh, yeah. clear it out. Obviously. <laughs> no, but sorry to, to hopefully that's a little bit not as crazy now. Um, but yeah, that's just trying to back up what you were saying about Porter is a guy with a lot of upside. Um, so I'm excited to see what he can do, but that, that like too deep with the edge is very interesting to look at. Um, cause you had Trevor Mai who was kind of an edge, but then he added a lot of weight and was kind of working a little bit more on the interior. Someone who played a decent amount last year, didn't really pop per se, but played a lot. Jake Shipley, I thought was someone to maybe keep an eye on. Um, played in the bowl when, game. Jake, Sh- Jake Shipley played a good amount in the bowl game. Yeah. So, so I think he, he's a name that you can, you can also maybe see play, He's listed at six three two sixty seven, So maybe he's a little bit heavier than you'd want for, for an edge guy. Um, but th- yeah, I think that that fourth spot in that two deep at edge is, is where we could see, uh, maybe another true freshman play, um, because they just don't have a lot of guys on the roster that, that have, um, done a whole lot. Um, you know, whether that be at Oregon or just at the college level. 
So that that's another spot we definitely have to keep an eye on as we get the spring ball. And I'm excited to see kind of what that looks like in the spring game. Maybe that'll give us give us a little bit more of a, an idea of what they're working with in Tosh LePoy's room. Bro, I'm just waiting for the first practice report. I'm, I'm so curious to see how all this stuff plays out, especially on defense. I think offense is much more predictable. Sadiq and Dickie, I think, are wild cards in terms of the depth chart and playing time and snaps and receptions and all that sort of stuff. Like Troy, Flank, Troy Franklin's your clear number one receiver. T. Ferger is obviously your number one tight end. You know what the running back looks like. You know quarterback. I think offensive line is fairly easy to project as well. Defensive line on the interior and on the edge, frankly, mostly simple. But then from there, just just wild cards across the board. Another thing that you got to keep in mind is they got four games to play with. So, like, they can play four games and, and you know, still keep that red shirt. Right, um, right. And, and look at how – Look at how many backs saw the touch the ball last year, even, you know, with uh, all the rotations that they had there, you know, a whole, whole bunch. Um, and, you know, Dante Dowdell, I'm sure he's going to get some run. Um, I know that Jordan James is, is someone that is is on a good track after seeing a lot of work as a as a true freshman. I'm pretty confident that he burned his red shirt, I want to say. Um, so that that running back room is is solid. And if they're able to blow some teams out, that's where you get some of those four games come into play, you know, get those guys on the field, get them up to speed. Um, but that's, I think, one of the biggest challenges that come with managing such a talented roster is you don't want to get guys in there too early. Um, but, you know, I'm sure that those conversations have already been had, uh, you know, behind closed doors, just as far as, you know, hey, here's your plan. Here's how we'll kind of work you in and, and get you acclimated. Um, but this is an exciting roster. And then the last thing I was going to say on the, the, um, you know, some of the true freshmen is like, look at how long it took Troy Franklin to kind of really break out. He saw the field a lot in 2021, but, um, you know, maybe it was just the offense that they were playing in and, and he really yeah, took I was off gonna say, too. I, I think he could have done more in 2021. Sure. Not what he did this past year when he really made that sophomore leap, but I think he, he brought more to the table as a true freshman than he necessarily showed. And he was still an impact player, by the way. Like he... Yeah was a rotational receiver out there, made a lot of big catches, had a couple against uh, Ohio State even. Last thing, Max, the elite Terry hire. I, I think it's intriguing because it's another young up-and-comer, which has been a theme with Dan Lanning and making these hires, whether it's Kenny Dillingham or Will Stein or Chris Hampton even, now elite Terry. Does it concern you at all that Lanning is, is almost exclusively all in on young coaches and I don't want to say he's throwing caution to the wind by not bringing in a lot of veterans, but that he's just very determined, it seems, to make that a focal point for his staff. No, I, I wouldn't say it's a concern for me. I, I think it, it makes a lot of sense just with the fact that he is a younger coach. Your your coaching tree is is only so expansive with your limited experience. But Alik Terry is is an exciting name. And you know, he was the the first name that I wanted to keep an eye on when this opening came about. Um, he's someone that has familiarity with Eugene since he was a GA a couple years back when Oregon's offensive line was super dominant. I don't know how you want to compare last year with the crystal ball and mirror ball years. Um, but he was last on the staff, you know, and when he was working with, uh, an offensive line that had three, uh, three all Americans, I want to say with, with Throckmorton, Panay and, and Shane Lemieux. Um, we obviously see what Panay is doing now and that can't all be attributed to a leak Terry, but he knows what this offensive line, what an offensive line looks like in Eugene when it's operating at a high level, he was in that room. He was at those practices with Mirabal and Cristobal. Um, so he knows that standard that he wants to meet. He's familiar with Eugene. He's going to know how to recruit to Eugene. Um, he has, 
he, he's run his own offensive line room before, even though it was only one year at Hawaii. I think that's obviously valuable experience to have. And uh, he knows what NFL linemen look like, even though he was a defensive line assistant. I think that was maybe something that maybe caught people's eye when he got hired is like, wait, we just hired a defensive line assistant coach to, to run the O-line, but played O-line at Wake Forest uh, for four years. So he's got some really solid experience. And I think another thing, since we talked about recruiting, you got that upside there since he's a Miami, Florida native, um, definitely a tough area to push into but he's going to be one that helps them keep at least taking those shots with some of those top guys in the sunshine state. So I'm super excited about the elite Terry hire. Um, I think it's uh, it's going to be one that has a lot of upside for Dan Lanning. And um, I, I'm not, I'm not discouraged, you know, by, by the age, by any means. Um, I, I think this is a solid hire. Yeah. I'm, I'm not either. It's just a curious trend that, that I wanted to ask you about. And I just think that, it's very recruiting oriented, I think, to go after all these young coaches because I think they have a greater propensity to kind of relate to young young players, young athletes coming out of uh, high school or heck, e- even in the portal now. When that's with that being such a, a, a huge component of it, Max, appreciate it as always, man. His name is Max Torres. He is at M Torres Sports on Twitter. If you didn't know already, he hosts the Ducks Dish podcast. He covers Oregon for Fan Nation and Sports Illustrated, and he's a regular guest here on the show, of course, which is his most important title, obviously. Thanks, Max. Thanks for having me, Spencer. Appreciate the time. Appreciate everyone listening. See you next time. Have a wonderful rest of your day and go Ducks.